Good morning, Hope Church. So good to be with you guys worshiping Jesus on this beautiful summer day in Montana. We are now, I think, in week four of a message series called In the Fire, based on the book of Daniel. As we are looking and have been exploring how the book of Daniel correlates to our culture that we're living in today. I know that many of you, um, as I have through this crazy season of this pandemic, it feels like there is a little bit of fire, there is a little bit of heat that is being turned up in our culture. And you could see it, just turn on the news, it's right in front of our face, that the, the heat of our culture is making people a little bit crazy, isn't it? I don't know about you, but it seems like every time I pick up the newspaper, there's something new that blows my mind that makes me think, what is going on in our society? And as followers of Jesus and people who have put our faith and trust and hope in him, I'm looking at the world and I'm seeing things that I saw um, before, but now it seems like there's an acceleration happening. There's a speeding up, of you will, if you will, of our culture and society moving away from the things of God and our faith and moving towards things that um, our culture and society seem to celebrate and to get behind and to promote that are contradictory to our faith. And as we're going to look at today, in the book of Daniel, it's a story of Daniel and three of his friends that were captured out of Israel, and they were taken to a foreign land called Babylon. And in Babylon, Babylon is, uh, is actually modern-day Iraq, for those of you who are wondering where Babylon is. Uh, that's an interesting place. And they were taken to this place where they were forced to serve a wicked king, a prideful king, a king that didn't want to have anything to do with God, but he wanted to serve and have everybody around him serve the gods of Babylon. Now, we aren't living in Babylon today, but a lot of people would equate America with Babylon. Now, I don't know about all that, but here's what I do know. I do know that we are living in a culture, in a society, where the same spirit that was at work back then in that culture and in that place, in that country, is the same spirit that is at work right now in our country, fighting for your heart and fighting for my heart, and trying to pull you away from the things of God and pull you into the world. The Bible has many references to Babylon. In fact, you can look in the book of Revelation, and you'll find Babylon there. And so it is very clear from Scripture that many times when we read stories in the Old Testament, even though they were real historical events, and, and this book of Daniel has been documented even by historians that this, was, this is not only a good Bible story, and I know for a lot of us, you know, uh, we, we go back to our veggie tales, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we go back to, you know, the felt board and all that, the storyboards back in um, Bible school and Sunday school classes, and there's amazing stories that come out of this book and I think sometimes in our head that can mess with us because we can think of them as just stories. When the Bible has so much depth and truth to it, I love the word of God because it's not just stories. Not only were they historical facts of things that happened throughout history, but they actually can encourage us over 2,000 years later today in how they relate because we may not be living in Babylon but we are living in a society and culture where that spirit is very much at work. And so these, Daniel and his three friends were constantly being challenged and constantly being tested in their faith. Would they give in to their culture? Would they compromise their convictions and their faith? Or would they take a stand? And we're gonna see today as we dive into Daniel chapter three, how um, it's interesting that in this chapter, even though the book is, called Daniel, there's no mention of Daniel in this chapter, which is unique to this chapter, but it actually talks about his three friends, which we hear a little bit about, but we don't hear a lot about, and I think that's even interesting because in our society, we can elevate people, we can elevate fame, we can elevate other people who we look up to and we think, yeah, they've got it all together, I'm just a nobody, I'm just a friend of the guy who's somebody, and in this case, it's Daniel's three friends, not Daniel, that make a significant impact, that changes a culture. And I believe we're living in a day and age where if 
followers of Jesus, if as Christians, if as the church, we don't start taking a stand for the things that we believe in and the faith that we profess and the love for God that we profess, if, we don't, if the world doesn't see us taking a stand and living it out, I believe we're going to see a continued acceleration of this world going in the direction away from God that it is. And so we're going to pick up the story. I'm going to kind of set the table for you, if you will. I feel like that's part of my job as a, as a preacher, is like a chef. I want to set the table for you so that you can enjoy the meal. And so let me set the table for you um, in this chapter. King Nebuchadnezzar, he's so full of himself, so full of pride, just loves himself a little bit too much, kind of like Kanye loves Kanye. And he erects himself this gold image. That, now, Kanye got saved, so I love Kanye. Um, I think he needs to stay on his meds. We need to pray for Kanye. Love him. I don't know about running for president, but I do like his music now. <laughs> He's got some good Christian music now. But, um, but this king was just obsessed with himself. And he wanted everybody to not just worship the gods of Babylon, but he actually wanted them to worship him as well. And so what he does is he decides in his spare time that he's going to erect this huge statue around 60 feet tall. And it's going to be the statue of himself and it's going to be uh, covered in gold. And it's going to be this image. And he says every time, uh, uh, he gives this decree across the whole nation. Every single time he's going to have the praise band start to play some music. And they're gonna play the flute, and they're gonna play the harp, and they're gonna play this music, and that's gonna be your cue. To me, this is interesting. I studied psychology, and I don't know how many of you remember Pavlov's dog. That every time they conditioned him, that every time they would ring the bell, they would give them some food. And so after a while, just when they ring the bell, they would start, the rats, they would start to salivate. And so you could see the conditioning beginning to happen here, and you could see some parallels in our culture happening today, that our culture wants to condition us to its ways. And so what they would do is they'd play the music, they'd do the jig, do the dance, sing the song, and every time you heard the sound of the music, everybody was commanded to fall down or bow down and worship this golden image. And so now, Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refuse to bow down to this image. And so far, they haven't been noticed in their resistance. But now there are some people who are competitors in the king's palace as these three friends have been elevated to a place of leadership within the king's palace. And there are other people that don't like them. Just like there are people in this world that just because you're a Christian and follower of Jesus, just for that fact alone, they don't like you. And they won't like you. And they'll have it out for you. And they'll try to do things just because of your faith. And so now these, uh, these astrologers and these people in the, in the king's court, they are calling out these guys for not bowing down. And here's where we pick up the story when these guys come to the king and are complaining to him in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 28. And if you have your Bibles, you want to turn there. There's some things that you want to do to um, in here. You're going to want to highlight, but I'm going to read to you out of the New International Version, and you could follow along. And now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king as the king confronted them, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And I love the confidence here. And he will deliver us. And even that, from your majesty's hand, and now I love this even more. I have this highlighted here in my, in my Bible app. But even if he does not, I love their faith. They're like, we believe fully and have confidence and faith that God can and will deliver us. But they say this, but even if he doesn't, <laughs> how many of us would say that? How many of us actually expect God to deliver us? And I think oftentimes, our faith can be conditional. God, I'll give, just like we had our giving moment just a moment ago. God, I'll give as long as you bless me. And just like that song we sang, we sang earlier, nothing else. God, I'm not here for blessing. If I get nothing from you, I'm still gonna worship you. That's the heart of what uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are saying to the king right here. We believe God can do it. We have all the faith in the world that he's gonna deliver us. But even if he doesn't, listen to what they say. 
We want you to know, I'm putting you on notice. Some of you need to put the devil on notice that even if God doesn't come through for me in the way he does, even if he doesn't heal me, even if my marriage stays broken, even if this addiction keeps plaguing me and I struggle and wrestle with it, Devil, I want you to know that my God is able to deliver me, and I believe he will, but even if he doesn't, come on, somebody. I know it's the 9 a.m. service, but y'all got to wake up because I got a message that's going to fire you up this morning. If it doesn't, you need to check your pulse. But even if he doesn't, there ain't no way I'm bowing down to you. There's no way I'm giving in to what the lies of the enemy want me to believe, that you're not good, and you've abandoned me, and you've left me, and you're not real. And that's exactly the lies of the enemy that want us to believe when we don't see God come through in the way that we hoped he would or that we expected he would. And then it goes on to say this, your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and his attitude toward them changed. Now, before this, he was kind of the apple of their eye. In fact, they stood out in the king's palace, and the king was liking them. They were 10 times better than all the rest of the guys that were serving him. And he ordered the furnace to be heated up seven times hotter than usual. Now, seven is an interesting number. I don't know if many of you get into numbers in the Bible. I do believe that there's meaning to everything in the Bible. And there's deeper things that if we'll dig into Scripture and we'll dig into the Word of God that we can extract out of the Word of God that we don't see. The number seven is a, is a, um, is a, a very important number in the Bible. It stands for completion. It stands for refining. It's interesting that he would heat the furnace up seven times hotter. You need to understand whatever the world throws out your way, no matter how hot it gets, God is going to use it for his good. And what the, what the world and the devil wants to use to destroy you, God will use to refine you. Ooh, that's good right there. I don't care who you are. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, and he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army, look at this, to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, their trousers, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. And the, king's, and the king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's, that's some hot furnace right there. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of God's. And Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out. Come here. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, governors, and the royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. And here's the final verse. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing, and here I have this underlined too, they were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Willing to give up their lives so that they wouldn't worship or serve any other God but their God, the God of all creation, the God, the most high God, Yahweh, my God. I've called the, this message fireproof, and I'm going to get into it in just a minute here, but before we do that, I want to pray. I really felt a burden to pray as a church for our nation, and so before I've been preaching, I've been taking 60 seconds, and what I've been doing is asking you to pray with me. There's something the Bible talks about corporate prayer. Corporate prayer is a little different than
personal prayer. Corporate prayer is when we're gathered in a meeting together like this to worship, where we all pray together. And so this isn't just Pastor Lance praying right now for our nation. This is you and me and all of us praying together for our nation. So what we're going to do is we're going to take 60 seconds, and I'm going to ask you to pray. And I'm not going to ask you to pray in your quiet, under your breath voice or to yourself in your head. I want you to pray out loud like we were worshiping just a little bit ago. And we're going to pray together, and we're going to storm heaven for the next 60 seconds. And we're going to pray for our nation. And we're going to believe that God is moving and doing something. Amen? All right, so pray with me. Father, we come to you today, God, and we approach your throne of grace and confidence, believing that not only is your presence with us, God, but that you hear every single word that we pray. When we gather together, your word says, where two or more gather, there I am in the midst. And God, so we believe your presence is here in the middle of us, God. We ask that you would move on our country, God. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would sweep across this country, that you would breathe on this country once again. God, like we sang, that you would rattle dry bones. God, that you would bring dead things back to life. People that are far from you would come back to you, God. God, I pray that you would awaken this nation. Awaken this great nation. Let there be a great awakening happen across this country, Father. Let it begin here. God, we pray that revival would begin within our hearts this morning. God, I pray that you would awaken your church. God, awaken your church, God, to the reality, God, that we need to stand up for you and we need to share the only hope of this world with the people around us in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace. Father, we pray for President Trump and Vice President Pence. God, we pray that you would give them wisdom as they lead our country. Father, we pray that you would surround them with godly wisdom, godly men and women to give them godly counsel as they lead our country. Father, we pray for the election coming up. God, that you would put into office that who you would have be in office to lead this country. And God, I pray that revival would sweep across this country once again. Father, and restore us as we repent and we turn to you and we look to you, God, we pray that you would move once again. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your hand on your heart. I wanna pray for you right now because this message, I believe, this morning um, is a little heavy, but I also believe it has the power to set us free from some things sometimes we don't even realize that we're bound by. And so, God, right now, I pray for every single heart. I pray like the Apostle Paul. I pray that our, the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. I pray that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. And God, just like David, I pray that you would search us and know us and point out any wicked way in us, anything that we've allowed in our hearts to take your place. God, as we read your word, I pray that it would challenge us. I pray that it would illuminate us. And I pray that it would transform us. I pray that we would not leave this holy place the same as we came in. I pray now for me that you would anoint my words. Come on, pray for your pastor. God, I pray that you would anoint me to preach your word in power. And God, I pray I am just a vessel to be used, a mouthpiece by you today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So good. I look at these three men, and I don't know about you, but I am amazed at their faith. I've heard stories, some of you have heard of the Book of Martyrs. It's a book, literally, that shares stories of people. I think actually every Christian, probably once a year, it wouldn't be a bad idea to get that book and to read through some of the pages in that book and to read through some of the stories of the people that have courageously, they've drawn a line in the sand and have stood for their faith in the face of losing their lives. And as we see, I am actually blown away that these three men, which would be so easy for them in a foreign country, they're not even in their homeland. That'd be like if you were on a trip in a foreign land by yourself, nobody's around to hold you accountable. Nobody knows what you're doing, yet they realize that even though nobody else may be around, God is with them, and he sees them, and he knows their heart. And I'm just blown away that they have the faith and the strength and the courage to stand up, even in the face of this fiery furnace that they knew would ultimately destroy them, but their faith that would say, God is able to deliver me, and I believe that he will, even to the point where I'm willing to risk my life and put my life on the line. Now, for many of us, I don't know about you, I put myself 
probably you have too in that scenario too. If somebody came to you, um, I remember when I was a kid, I watched the movie Red Dawn. I don't know how many of you read that. It kind of freaked me out. It was kind of like at the end of the Cold War with Russia, and it was a movie about how the Russians invaded the U.S., and there was this group of young people, and I was a teenager at the time, that became rebels, and they, they went up in the hills, and they kind of attacked as the Russians came in and invaded our country. And sometimes what they would do is they'd blindfold people, and they'd make them pledge allegiance to their country and dis- disavow themselves from the U.S. I've wondered and put myself many times in a position where what if we got to a place where you were blindfolded and you were, you were said, you renounce your faith, otherwise you're going to be dead, you're going to be killed? What would you do? I've put myself in that place many times and, you know, the, the, the man, courageous man part of me wants to feel, you know, bow up and throw my shoulders back and, man, I'd do it. You know, I'd just close my eyes and say, praise Jesus and go ahead, put a bullet through my heart, whatever you want to do, and I'm done. I think it's actually sometimes it may be, um, many, for many of us, we're not necessarily going to be asked to put our life on the line for Jesus, right? We're still living in America, and even though we're beginning to see some persecution against Christians, and there may be a day coming not too long where we have to make a choice what we're going to stand for, and it could mean persecution and possibly even our lives if we continue to follow Jesus. But for right now, for many of us, We're not faced with that. I actually think the bigger question is not will you give your life for Jesus, but will you live your life for Jesus? I think that's the biggest challenge. Because even in the scenario where you take a bullet for Jesus, you know, in my mind, man, I'll I'll stand there, I'll be scared, I'll be sweating, but I'll take that bullet and I'll be caught up in heaven just before I know it. And it's over. But when you have to live faithfully for Jesus and stand for him day after day after day with the adversities that we face in life, in the face of sickness, in the face of disease, in the face of discouragement, in the face of anxiety, in the face of fear when you wake up, in the face of when your marriage is broken and you're broken and you have to get up and you have to be faithful and you have to continually day after day, moment by moment, choose continually that I'm not going to serve the things that want to take me away from God. I'm going to keep my faith in him. And when I look at Daniel and his three friends, I, I see something very important in scripture that we could easily miss that, that, that just popped out at me. Three things that I think are important that gave them the faith that, that they took a stand that I think you and I need to look at if we're going to take a stand and if we're going to face the things in our life courageously. Now, one of the interesting things about the word Babylon, the word Babylon, there's a couple of different translations for what that word means. One of them is confusion. We already talked about that in, in previous message. But one of the other direct translations of Babylon means the gate of the gods. The gate of the gods. And, and I studied this. There was actually several gates to get in. Now, back then, they fortified cities. They'd call them strongholds. They would make these huge gates that protected the city from other people that would try to attack the city. And there were certain gates that allowed people to come in and come out. And there was this one gate that King Nebuchadnezzar II, in particular, this king, um, he made. It was called the Eighth Gate or the Gate of Ishtar. And it was dedicated and consecrated to the God of Ishtar. And it was this gate that he made that was so beautiful. It was covered in gold, inlaid with blue. They had these pictures of their gods along the wall. And it was totally intended to wow people as they would come into the city. They funneled everybody through this gate. And once they got you in the gate, they closed the doors. And what they wanted to do is they kind of wanted to win you over to their culture that you would be so enamored with the beauty and the splendor and the gold and, and, the, and the prosperity and the success that it would just draw you into that gate and the door would shut. I think that's exactly how the enemy works in our life with the world. He draws us in by some of the, the beauty in the world, the things that are attractive in the world, and we get sucked in to, through that gate and we step through and as soon as we step into it, the door closes and now I've got you in my grip. And we're gonna look at how Daniel and his friends resisted that temptation 
like a gateway drug that you start with just a little something. You try this, you try that, and ah, it's not gonna hurt me, it's just gonna be okay. And because I smoke cigarettes now, it's just easier to smoke marijuana. And after a while, marijuana leads to something stronger, like a gateway drug. I believe that there are, there are things of this world that will suck you in, that will get in our heart and will lead you and I astray. Look at Daniel chapter three, verses eight through 12. It says this, at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. Now these guys were coming to the king and complaining, but look at how they start. They want to butter him up. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Now um, kids, children, young people, even wives, if you ever want to butter up your husband, if you got something to come to him, that's actually a great way to do it. Come in, may the king live forever. Now dad, can I borrow the car? <laughs> hey, sure, here you go. They were just buttering up the king. They were schmoozing up to him. And look at this. They say, your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing fire. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you. Now, you're going to see three things here. And I want you to, if you have your Bibles, underline them. If you're taking notes, you want to underline them. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. And by this, we see how things start. And the first thing I want to point out to you is that temptation, I want to establish something, because I believe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just like us today, they were tempted to follow and to fall in line, to bow down, think about all the things that they could have justified in their head. Nobody's around. It's no big deal. We're going to save our lives. We're doing better by our lives saved than if it was taken. And it actually started, can I tell you, that the temptation didn't start here. And this is where a lot of us get wrong. We give in to smaller temptations. So I, wanna, I just want to give you a baseline of, of what temptation really is. Temptation is anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of obeying God. I'm going to say that again. Temptation is anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of disobedience to God or obedience to God. Now, when we look at this story, we can see that these guys, their faith didn't get strong in the moment. This is where a lot of us get it wrong. We think our faith is gonna be strong in the moment. When I need to stand up for God, I'll stand up for him. And can I tell you something? That that is not good thinking. The time where you build strength to have the courage and the faith to stand up in a moment like that isn't in the moment. It doesn't start in the moment. It culminates in the moment. So the first point I wanna to make to you is this. Faith, oh, the courage to stand, it always starts with, a, with small compromises or small stands. It always starts with small compromises or small stands. What do you mean by that, Pastor Lance? If you remember in Daniel chapter 1, their, their journey to stand in their faith and the courage to stand in the face of temptation of bowing down to the things of their culture. It didn't start in Daniel chapter three. It started in chapter one. When they first showed up on the scene, the very first chapter, they are tempted by the food and the wine at the king's table. You remember that? And, and for many of us, we look at that and what's the big deal? It's just a little bit of food. It's just some actually really good food. It was choice food. It was, the king. it was an honor. So you see what happens is the king was trying to schmooze them, trying to acclimate them to his culture. This is exactly what the world will do to you and me. It will try to get us, come on, just, just come in. This is good food. This is the best food. This is the choicest food. This is the best wine. Who's going to know? No big deal. Just eat a little bit of the food. And they could have justified in their own minds and they could have compromised their faith. Why? Because that food they knew was probably sacrificed, which most people wouldn't know this, but that food was sacrificed to idols and to other gods. And so 
Biblically, they knew that God commanded them, don't eat any food that's sacrificed to other idols because God knows something. See, we have to understand something. God knows way better than we do what our soul needs. And, and there's, this, there's some spiritual principles that we have to understand that what you consume gets in you. And so even though they may not be eating gods, and, and getting, it is that the food that has been sacrificed, it gets in you. Just like we could say, oh, I'll listen to music and I'll watch movies that maybe be a little bit distasteful. Maybe it has some things of this world in them. But who cares? It's just music. I'm gonna, my kids tell me that. And I say, oh, Dad, it's just music. I say, yeah, but the words get in you. They get in your head, right? Oh, it's just a little food. It's just a little drink. It gets in you. And then it gets in your mind. And I say, well, how do you know the lyrics to that? They're singing a song and they don't even realize what they're singing. Why? Because it got in them and they let it in. It's that gate of the gods that when you step in just compromising a little bit, it leads to another little compromise and another little compromise. So, so here's how this happens. So you'll get invited to a party or you'll, you'll get invited to dinner with some friends after work and you'll go to the party or you'll go to the dinner and you, 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 on your way there you're thinking, now I'm not gonna drink, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna you know, hang out, I'm gonna be with them. And then somebody offers you, why aren't you drinking? Oh, you know, I, I, don't, I just don't do that. You're too afraid to say, it's because of my faith. And so say, oh, come on, just have one drink. It's no big deal. And so you're, oh, all right, you're right. You know, and you just, you have one drink. And now you're feeling a little good. And that little compromise says, yeah, what's the big deal? I had one. I might as well have another. And you have another. And before you know it, you're getting jiggy on the dance floor with some guy that you don't even know. And you're going home with him. And you wake up the next day. And you're like, how did that happen? It's because of this. Little compromises turn into big falls. Little compromises over time compound themselves and they turn into big falls. This is why when you see or hear about a, a pastor or preacher, it, it grieves me when I hear about mighty men of God that fall into temptation and into sin. It's never in that moment, if you hear their story, it's never, well, you don't go from serving God, being faithful to him, to all of a sudden, you know, getting caught with drugs with a prostitute. If you talk to them and you hear their story, it always starts out with small compromises. Well, I just, I did this and I gave in to that. I just, I took a little money out of the till because, you know, who's going to miss a couple of bucks? And then that led to taking a couple of hundos out of the till. And the next thing you know, I was stealing from my company, company and, and pilfering for them. You know, what's the big deal flirting a little bit at, at the office with somebody of the opposite sex? Yes, it's all in jest. I would never do anything until that flirting turns into deeper conversations and deeper conversations turn into an emotional connection and that emotional connection leads to a big fall. That's how it happened. So the three things that I believe that we need to do that, that are gonna help us to be able to stand in those movements, we're gonna learn from them. The first one is this. They refuse to give their attention. It says they refused to give their attention to this golden idol. Now, there may not be this huge 60-foot golden idol out in front of you in the middle of downtown Kalispell, and there may, the mayor isn't asking you to bow down to it, but I guarantee you every single day, whether it's on a billboard, whether you're scrolling through social media, um, there are temptations in front of us. In fact, um, my friend uh, Jack Alton is a good friend of mine I used to work with. He used to be my boss. And we would go on business trips sometimes. And when we would go on business trips, sometimes we had to, we had to take clients out to dinner. We'd take them out to these lavish dinners. And we always used to, we had a code word we used to uh, laugh about. But actually, it was a good reminder. And, and we'd say, look out for the shiny baubles. Look out for the shiny baubles. Because it's these gold bubble baubles that dangle in front of you, the carrots that the world wants to stick in your face and my face to say, ah, if you just gave yourself a little bit more to your career, if you just made a little bit more money, if you just, and, and so what happens is we get, first thing that happens is it catches our attention. The things of this world catch our attention. We start to look at them. We start to give our thoughts to them. And over time, let me tell you something, what you give your attention to gets you. Over time, what you give your attention to gets you. 
So you start getting, I've experienced this in my own life. When I, I never played fantasy football before in my life, and I had some buddies that said, hey, you want to play fantasy football? I said, sure, man, I'm down with that. I love, and I started playing it. The first year, I was terrible. The second year, I won my league because I got so into it. I, it was actually, I was borderline obsession. I mean, I started giving my attention to it. And so, I mean, I'm thinking about what guys I need to get, what guys I need to drop, what trades I can make. It had my attention. Over time, what I noticed is because I gave it so much of my attention, there was this pull to want to, you know, look up and do more research on players and all these things, and it started taking up more and more of my time. Listen, I know guys that are so into fantasy football, I don't even know if they're living in reality. And that's just, that's just how it is. They'll, they'll miss a Sunday morning. They won't come to church because they want to get their lineup right. And for many of us, we could get so caught up in hunting and fishing and camping and doing all these things that are trying to get our attention that if you continually give your attention to over time, eventually those things will get you. Get you. The second thing that they did was they res- refused to serve other gods. They refused to serve other gods. Now again, for you and me, we may not have gold statues to bow down to and serve. But I'll tell you, there's so many things in this world. Listen, I actually think for us, especially as Christians, the biggest things we're in danger of are the good things. Good things can become a God thing real fast if we don't guard our heart and watch it. Do you want me to tell you what you serve? Because this is what happens over time. What you serve is what you give your time to, your talent to, like the things that God made you and created you. He's given you talents and things, and you could use them for your own purposes and for your own um, fulfillment in this world to move your career ahead, to move your business ahead, to do all, all those things are not bad things in and of itself. Hear me. They're good things when they are put in their proper place. God said in Exodus 20, verse 2, he says that I am the Lord your God who delivered you out of Egypt, who freed you from the bonds of slavery. He said in verse 3, he said, serve no other gods beside me. See, God just wants our heart. It's great to have your own business. It's it's good to have success in this world as long as that success doesn't have you. (laughs) And as long as your business doesn't have you. Because here's an important thing that you need to understand about the things that we give our time and our talents and our treasure to. Over time, those are things that you serve and you become a servant to what you serve. I'm going to say that again. You become a servant to what you serve. In other words, what you continually give your time, your talents, and your treasure. Many people say, you want to know what your God is? Look at your bank account statement. Look at your credit card statement. Look at your calendar. Where's all your time going? Where's all your money going? Where's your, what are you using your energy? We only have so much life, people. I only have so many years left. I want to, when I pass from this life to the next, I don't, I don't want to be in a place or ever look back or be before, before the throne of God and have to give an account to him and say, well, I was out camping. I was out having a good time. Hey, those things are all good. But when good becomes a God, when we start to serve them above the God we serve. The third thing is what you serve, you sacrifice for. <laughs> what you serve, so you want to know what you're serving right now? What are you sacrificing for? What are you giving up? What are, you, what are you sacrificing money for? What are you going into debt over? What are you sacrificing your time for? Because, listen, whatever you're giving your time to, something else is getting sacrificed. For me and for my house, I decided I'm going to serve the Lord. I'll, if I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to sacrifice for God. I'm going to sacrifice to serve him. That's why for a lot of us, you know, we don't, even, we don't serve in church And you're actually going to get an opportunity to sign up for one of our teams. Today is something that we call Hope Expo Day, Hope Team Expo Day. And so you'll notice that we have, you know, tables set up all around this this auditorium. And we're asking you, I'm going to ask you at the end of the service here in just a little bit. And even for those online that are watching, I want to challenge you. Like, what are you giving your life to? What are you sacrificing for? Because what you sacrifice for, you're serving The third thing they did is they refused to worship the image of gold. They refused 
to worship the image of gold. Now, again, for us, that doesn't mean, you know, that, that doesn't mean we're going to refuse to, you know, fall down to idols in the middle of Kalispell. But actually, I think this is what happens over time. What we give our attention to, here's the pattern. Watch it. I'll put it all together for you now. The things of this world that catches our eye and our attention, catches our thoughts. And then those thoughts, we start to serve those thoughts with the things of this world. And over time, as we serve those things, they start to get in our heart and we start to identify with them. In other words, I don't just hunt anymore. I don't just like hunting. I'm a hunter. I don't just like fishing anymore. I'm a fisherman. I don't just like business. I'm a successful businessman. And we start to wrap our identity into the things that we serve. And we begin to worship that identity. I love that it's an image of gold. In doing some research on this, I actually found out that this, this huge statue, it wasn't pure gold. You can never make a statue that big out of pure gold. But they wanted to make you think it was pure gold. So what they did is they built the statue out of wood, constructed out of wood, and then they plated it with gold on the outside. I think that's a beautiful picture of exactly what the world does. It paints this beautiful picture that if you'll serve me, man, just look on Instagram, look on Facebook, get on social media for a minute, and it will dangle the shiny gold baubles right in front of you. If you just had more vacations, if you just had a nicer car, a nicer home, and all these things I believe are keeping Christians so busy. In fact, the more I talk to people, they're in debt, they're working two jobs, their, their time is consumed with all their work because they're trying to keep up with this image that this world has projected that you need this lifestyle to be happy, to be successful. And we buy into it, just like on Easter, when I get a, a chocolate bunny, and I'm stoked because I believe that thing is pure milk chocolate, and I bite into that thing, and it crumples inside because it's hollow instead of solid chocolate. That should be outlawed, by the way. And because it's, because it's just on the outside, it's actually not really good chocolate. It's usually like wax, and you chew it up, and you're like, you spit it out because it's so nasty. Give me some, something solid. Give me something I can sink my teeth into that's real. That's exactly what this world gives us, empty promises that if you'll just bite into the world, just like Eve bought into the apple, we'll buy into them, we'll bite into the lies of the enemy that will try to tell you that you will be fulfilled if you will give your attention, if you will serve, and eventually what will happen is you will bow down your heart to worship the things of this world because we become what we worship. We become what we worship. And for many of us, right now, we don't like what we become. You can look at your life. And I want to ask you that question. For those of you watching online, do you like who you're becoming? Do you like who you are right now? Because the reflection of who you are is what you worship. Psalm 115.8 says, and those who make idols. And man, you have to understand as human beings, God created us for worship. We are worshiping people. That's why we're so, and we are made of flesh. That's why we're so drawn to the things of the world. In fact, John said it so eloquently. He said, he said do not love the world or the things of this world. For anyone who loves the world doesn't have the love of the Father in them. The things of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They're of the world. They're not of God. So you look at every temptation that we face. It always starts with your eyes. That's why, that's why they started with the sound and they started with the gold image. Think about how much gets our attention from what we listen to and what we watch, what we give our eyes to. Go back to that Psalm 115, verse 8. It says, and those who make idols are just like them and are all who trust in them. So I wanna challenge you. Where's your focus? Where's your focus? 
if we're gonna break this, we gotta fix our focus. We gotta break off our attention from the things that are getting our attention in this world and we gotta fix our focus and put it on Jesus. Come on, look in the message, Romans 12, 2. I love what the message says. In Romans 12, 2, it says, don't be so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And I think for many of us, we do that. It's not that we don't love God, but we let these other things into our life. God, he says, let there be no other gods before me. So it's not that all these things we can't go camping, we can't enjoy God's creation and the things that he's given us to enjoy. It's just that we don't put them before us, before him. Don't be so well-adjusted to your culture. You fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Second thing we need to remember is we need to remember to serve the Savior. Serve the Savior. Like the things that we're giving ourselves to and we're serving in this world, think about it. How many of those things can serve you? Now I like Krispy Kremes, but I don't know the last time a Krispy Kreme did anything to save me, right? In fact, it didn't save me. It actually made me gain on the waistline. But so many of the things that we are giving our time, our attention, our talents to, how are they serving you? Are they saving you? Are they saving your soul? Are they bringing you peace? Are they bringing you joy? And I don't mean just any joy, I don't mean happiness. I mean, something in the world can make you happy for half hour, an hour, till the next day. But what's gonna give you lasting joy? Joshua 24, 14, this is a challenge I'm gonna give to you. So, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worship when they live beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me, and this is, come on, this is something... This is something that you've got to get in your heart today. You've got to be willing to draw a line in the sand to say, as for me in my house, as for me and my family, I'm choosing to serve the Lord and serve Him alone. Amen. He is my God. He's the one who rescued me. He's the one who can save me. And He's the one I'm going to serve with my life. The last thing, and we're going to end here, probably the most important. We've got to surrender your heart continually to God. Surrender your heart continually to God. This is something I know for many of us in the room, and I actually think it's a healthy thing to look back at the day and time. That's why I believe, and for some of you, you're gonna get an opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus for the very first time. Some of you are gonna get an opportunity to return to come to Him. It is important, and this is why we ask you to write it down, our Connect card, check the box, and we had several that checked the box last week that they surrendered their life to Jesus. It's important that you know the date and time that this was the day, this was the moment where I surrendered my heart to Jesus. And you can look back on that moment like a milestone in times when your faith is low and know that I surrender my heart and I'm not gonna cave into the things of this world and let it pull me away. I'm gonna get out of this gate. I'm gonna break free. Can I tell you something? What freed Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego was the fire. It wasn't, we think we can't get in the fire. We, we try to do everything within our power to avoid getting in the fire. But my God says, I am an all-consuming fire. It is necessary to go through the fire. It was the fire that freed them. So here's why we don't serve God. We think if we, don't, if, we, if we serve God, our life is over. We're gonna be bound just like they were bound in their ropes. My life's gonna be constricted. I'm gonna have to follow God and do, do everything that he tells me to do. And there goes my life, kind of like those t-shirts, you know, that say, just got married, game over <laughs> on those. We think our life is over. It's gonna be constricted. But it was actually the fire that freed them, to give them freedom to be who God made them to be and to live a life in freedom. But you gotta make a decision. Are you gonna surrender your heart continually? Because there's debris, there's fake gold that gets in our heart. The things of this world, it's like fake gold. It's not real. 
but we let them in our heart as we give it our attention and we serve them. And so we need to continually come to God just like a miner would shake through with a pan to get rid of the fake gold and the debris. We need to allow God to sift us. Job 11, 13 through 15 says, yet if you devote your heart to him and stretch out your hands to him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand and you allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then free of fault, you will lift up your face and you will stand firm without fear. So here's what I want us to do as we close. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to surrender your heart to Jesus? I know maybe some of you did that a long time ago, but I believe some of you need to do it again because we let things in. As we close, we're just gonna get in God's presence and I wanna give an opportunity for those of you who have never surrendered your life to Jesus. In other words, you're not a Christian. You're not a follower of Christ, but there's something about this message that convicted your heart and today is the day that you want to make a decision that today I'm going to cross that line. I'm going to surrender my life. Would you just pray this prayer with me? Jesus, thank you for being in the fire of life with me and for me. Thank you that you endured the cross. You took on my shame and my sin and my guilt. Wash me clean. Forgive me of all my sin. Come into my life now. I surrender my heart to you. In Jesus' name, amen. For the rest of us, we're just going to have a time here at the end. I know the hour's getting short. But I just want to encourage you. I want, I want to leave this altar open. Listen, if we can't stand up here, how are we ever going to stand up out there? If you can't get up out of your seat and come to the altar and, and let God rend your heart and give the things of your heart to Him, surrender to Him, how are we ever going to walk out these doors into the fire of our culture and take a stand for Jesus? So we're just going to stand in God's presence. I want you to stand to your feet right now. And I want to ask you, if you would come and just have a moment where you bow down and you surrender your heart to God. Come on, this is a holy moment. God, we surrender to you. We surrender to you, Jesus. Come on, let this be your prayer. Father, forgive us for letting things get in our heart. Forgive us for allowing our attention to be drawn to the things of this world and letting them get in our heart. God, today we, we repent of those things and we allow you to sift through our heart and weed out anything that is not of you, God, so that we can fully serve you. 